Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you doing? I am I'm feeling alive. The coffee is slowly setting in. It's pretty wow. great. How are you? I feel alive. Sounds like a Peter Frampton song. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it right now, but of course Peter wouldn't want me to put a finger on him anyway. <laughs> so here we go. We're fine. I, the listeners, I woke up just 20 minutes before this 5.30 podcast, which is unusual for me. So my heart was racing at first, but as soon as I hear Pat's voice, it's everything's good. <laughs> the calm has settled. The calm. <laughs> so I've got to tell you a quick joke. John Don, D-O-N-N-E great poet when you said peace just not reminded of the joke john Donne was a great poet but he's also broke most of his life so for a while he took work as an anglican preacher apparently he wasn't very good great writer great poet lousy preacher and uh, one listener said listening to john i experienced the peace of god whatever he's saying surpasses all understanding <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> well, some could not hear that uh, in today's podcast. <laughs> I wanted to jump into insecurity, and I uh, I wanted to jump into that because I've I've had a, these are all, a lot of our conversations are based on conversations I have with others, and I'm like, man, I wish Metzger was in the room with me right now. Yeah, um, but you said we were never going to talk about me, but apparently that's the subject today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you will resonate with this. I, when I was thinking about what to talk about, I was thinking, man, I really was quite an insecure kid. I mean, we all still have our insecurities, but I was, um, I was definitely an insecure kid growing up. And so, you know, when I think about raising my kids, how do I help them uh, just not have as big or glaring insecurities as I had. Um, but also, you know, when I talk with other spouses, both husband and wife, and just some of the challenges um, when one spouse is particularly uh, insecure in some, some areas or, um, you know, may, maybe just unhealthy in some areas, how, how, do, how do you work through that? How do you yeah, how do you help help your spouse through that? Is that just through loving them? Is that through you know? I'm, I'm curious what kind of frames you you think about these things in. Um, boy, yeah, we can we can go wherever. I figure we'll spiral our way through this. Oh no, it's just um, yeah. I'm, at my age, I've just seen. It feels like you so rarely or hardly see. Uh, insecurities um, dealt with. That is, you move toward security. And um, yeah, so in one respect, yeah, um, yeah I, mean, I just know a lot of marriages where, you know, one spouse will tell me, 
in private so, say, yeah, I just can't go there with so-and-so. I just can't go there. Yeah, I'm gonna, you'll just set off all blanky blank, uh, the person's name, all, all their insecurities. And uh, so, you know, many times your best thing to do is pray. Uh, Kathy's been my best friend, but also my best confidant in um, first uh, seeing some of my insecurities and then helping me through them, which does amount to the embarrassment of confession and on my part. Confession is embarrassing sometimes, especially the older you get to uh, to confess. But uh, you know, you just have to be relentless in confession. Frankly, you've got to get past the embarrassment. Uh, you know, we joked before that too often Christians act like once I come to faith, I never sin again, so I never had to confess to anyone because I'm saved, so I'm forgiven. Hmm. And it's such a naive view of salvation in many respects. Uh, confessing Christ as your Savior should set up the rest of your life of confession, and it should go deeper and wider and be more profoundly personal as you go, as God takes you deeper into your insecurities. So having said all that, I do think that a Psalm 16 came to mind as soon as you asked about insecurities. Psalm 16 was written by David. King David, who had his fair share of insecurities. Remember the one, one time he was feeling a little unnerved by the uh, enemy forces, and he decided <clears throat> he was going to count the people, uh, to which, God, to which uh, one of his advisors said, why in heaven's name would you do that, David? God told you not to do it. But you just feel like, count him. And he did, and as you know, God came to him and said, you disobeyed me and uh, gave you three options here. And, you know, David took the wrong option. He said, yeah, uh, you can either smote me, smote this or smote the people. And God said, and he said, yeah, deal, yeah, deal the punishment out to the people. First day, 70,000 Israelites died. David came to his senses. So here's David in Psalm 16. And I find it fascinating and you have a Bible someday, you can follow along and look at these because David makes this uh, statement uh, somewhere along the way. I think it's in verse 9. He says, my flesh will rest secure. That's fascinating. So I'd like to propose to you, Pat, we can do a little Bible study here for a podcast. I haven't done that before. <laughs> that as we've shared before, if a body, our flesh and blood tells God's story, then our flesh and blood also tells the story of our insecurities. And it can tell the story of being secure. And I think that this psalm, and I think that this psalm unpacks some of that. So in the beginning of the psalm, here's the important thing to notice. Um, David writes that he will not take on the idols of other people around him. And um, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names on my lips. Libations, as you just think, I mean, it's good drink. And pouring that out is sort of a, uh, as Paul would write later on, we're to pour out our lives 
we're to lay our lives down on the altar of sacrifice where the blood of Christ is often depicted as a sarcophagus, uh, the, the altar. And we're to do the same thing, pour out our lives as a libation. But uh, that, that indicates you've made something an idol. Now, here's the best definition of an idol I ever heard, and I think it has to do with insecurity. An idol is anyone or anything other than God who you make ultimately responsible for your sense of well-being. You say that again. An idol is anyone or anything other than God himself that you make ultimately responsible for your sense of well-being. Hmm. My, put that, put that yeah. in your own words. Well, I'm, what is, what is making the, 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 the your sense of well-being man I, when i'm hearing that i'm i'm thinking yeah what is what is speaking to me specifically to me so my sense what's speaking specifically to me that i am okay in this moment you know my sense of well-being doesn't necessarily connect with my actual well-being but my sense well-being so what's that thing right now that's giving me comfort then i'm okay that's right yeah hmm. and if that is not you know if that's not god what is it and man that, that, <laughs> that could be a lot of things guess what it can be every and any created thing yeah or person only God, the uncreated one. Psalm 16 begins this way. Keep me safe, my God. In you, I take refuge. Insecurity is taking refuge in your kids, your family, your wealth, mm, yeah. your home, your job, um, the feeling I got as a young man having a wad of 20s stuffed in my back pocket because I got paid for painting a house and filled up my car with gas. And I just drove away with the sense of, man, yeah. everything is all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, in thinking about just as a kid, you know, maybe it's the skills, the, the athletics, maybe it's the as you get older, the cool car, you know, those, those types of things, just the, the popularity in school, all, all of those factors growing up. That's right. And then it gets even, it gets even deeper. It can be, um, my privacy. Yeah. Uh, you can make an idol of uh, a friend of mine once wrote, it's the idol of having the last word. Mm. It's the idol of being the smartest person in the room. It's the idol of always having an answer. It's the idol of overcompensating in care and service. Hmm. So it's a, if anybody ever questions it, you say something like, well, I'm just doing the best I can. 
That's insecurity. And it's the insecurity because the image of God in you, the likeness of God that is never entirely erased in fallen people. It's marred but, and mangled, but not erased. It's trying to whisper, that's an idol. You are taking refuge in um, my body is none of your business. My body. My life is none of your damn business. It's my life. I am the captain of my ship. I am the captain of my soul, as Invictus says. You can be the idol of, well, you get the picture. Listeners, if you just stop and wherever you are, and well, not if you're driving, keep driving, but um, you look around and everything and anything you're seeing can be an idol. And when we make our kids an idol. Because I watched the tragedy, and it is a deep, deep sorrow of some parents who have lost children, and they have also lost their faith. How could God do that to us? But I can hear when they pour out libations, pour out libations is one of the ways your flesh signals to other people, don't go there. It's just the stiffening and the no. It's never said verbally. Good friends learn to pick up the vibes from others that I go there this will blow up in my face. Blowing up in the face is the last resort of people struggling to keep dominion over their idols. Violence. And it can be emotional violence, psychological violence, psychic violence, just that stare, that glare, that glower, that is how Lucifer looks out on everyone. So when you have an idol, you're unwittingly adopting the eyes of Lucifer. Of, um, don't go there. So these become rather sophisticated idols and they are, yeah. it takes a brave soul to be willing to endure the painful recognition of an idol. And then it takes an even braver soul to say, as David did, I'm going to stop pouring all libations on them. Um, yeah, I've been running a joke for a while. I guess it's still going on. I'm sure it's going on. They talk about the helicopter parents and parents that are hunched over like Neanderthals. <laughs> uh, that's funny. They're hunched over. They're bowed down. Uh, but uh, I would say that uh, my parents, Imperfect, like every other parent, 
we're not helicopter parents. And I was raised that way. Kind of raised like what's called today the free range kid. And, um, but helicopter parents have made an idol of their children. And uh, they'll often, and then um, they, they either do two, two things, they either lavish such praise on them, they grow up to be insecure kids because, my God, I can't be the greatest person in the world. And they're right about that in one sense. I mean, these can't be the greatest, maybe. Maybe if you're tough. There was only one Tom Brady, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this incredible insecurity they pass on because they're insecure. So parent, insecure parents pass that on and make create insecure kids because they have idols. And one of the idols is, especially, I mean, it, it, it's, it's either if you live in around affluent areas, my kid's going to Harvard. Or... Um, you're often Christians. Yeah. My kid's the smartest kid, or my kid's just awesome. And, you know, careful there. God, God assigns the word awesome. Scripture assigns it to God for two reasons. Because the root means awesome, like ineffable. You can hardly, you, there are not words to describe him, but it also is the root of the word awful, meaning. It is an awful thing to put an idol before God. What's the first commandment? Yeah, no other idols, no other images. So back to uh, Psalm 16. And then here's the important. Here's so you make my lot. He says because I won't pour out. I, I will not be an idol worshiper. And that's David writing. Who was? Right. If I've ever met a Christian that says I don't worship idols, that means. You just don't know who you are. <laughs> you, you are self-unaware. And look what he says because of that. Verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What's that mean? Uh, say that one more time. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Uh, yeah, the, the, the first part made sense, you alone. The, the last part, my, the boundary lines have fallen. So there's, uh, I'm just guessing, a, a sense of freedom here in pleasant places. So I have freedom to go out in pleasant places. Close, not quite. Uh, what's my boundary? We'll actually go back. You alone are my portion and my cup. David's a forerunner of Christ in many ways. When are you going to hear that again? Yeah, later on. At, uh, um, I am the, I'm the bread and the cup. This is my blood. There you go. Yeah, there's a resonance there. I will not pour out libations of blood to other gods. Or take or speak of them. You are my cup. This is a forerunner of take, eat, 
this is my body. Afterward, he took the cup. Drink all of it. Yeah. That was the fourth cup, the Eucharist. <clears throat> we'll talk about that in another podcast. They drank three cups. The last after supper, they would take the fourth cup. That is the cup of the wedding to come. And he gave it to them to drink. So they had the four cups of the Last Supper. Jesus didn't drink that cup till he was on the cross. But you are my cup, so you make my lot secure. You've heard that phrase before. What's that refer to? You make my lot. Um, Ain't talking about your backyard, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's my lot, what I've been given, my, my portion of things I have. There you go. My lot in life. Yeah. So here's my wife, my kids, my work, right, my home, everything. So here, all now, all of a sudden, we're not talking about everything and anything we are, but it's come down to my lot in life. It could be how smart you are. Mm -hmm. It could be how much money you make. It could be how popular you are. There are boundaries to that. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundaries have been ordained by God and they are beautiful. They're pleasant. If I had another time, another conversation, there are boundaries set up in Genesis. Do not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was, it's been recognized for a long time we're made in the image of God. The likeness of God requires staying within the boundaries that God has ordained for life. Like, let the marriage bed be undefiled. You shall have no other gods before me. Those are boundary lines. The boundary lines have fallen for me. That means God has ordained these boundaries like... Here's where I work, and I don't make as much as most of my friends. Here are my children. Gosh, they're not all going to Harvard mm. and Yale. So that's that's speaking to the boundaries uh, appearing, not necessarily the boundaries going away. Is that what you're that's saying? Right. Uh, that's right. Transgressing those boundaries is making an idol of them. Now that your children, whose children are they? They're God's. How many people you actually believe believe that? Right. They're a gift from God. You know, it's you know, this is good because I'm going outside of the boundary. I mean, yeah, that's what Lucifer did, right? When he yep. became the the fallen angel, that's what uh, we we want to go out. You know, Adam and Eve, obviously, that's a good connection so that's that's what we want to do god's given us this lot in life and we want to go outside of it we want more we want it to be different and our insecurity is is this is this all i have is this all i am i want more yeah wow and it's there's a reason paul wrote godliness is a means of great gain what do you say next 
when accompanied by contentment. Mm. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Hmm. The great one of the, one of the great tragedies of modern life is modern advertising which continually has one it doesn't exist if it doesn't create one emotion discontentment that's right yeah come it they got a six burner gas out of the stove <laughs> how how in hell can we cook on a four burger <laughs> what are we peasants i can't cook in this kitchen <laughs> Then I just yeah. go, I almost wish I could take the Christian community and we pack them off on a junket to Ukraine. Mm. Mm -hmm. Just to say, listen, I'm not here to guilt trip you. We spent a few days in here where you watch Russian soldiers ripping things out of apartments that they don't have back home. Toilets and sinks and this and that. They're finding in Ukrainian apartment buildings after they blew them out. But you never hear a Ukrainian saying, I can't cook in this thing. They did. You ever wonder why the U.S. scores so low on all these scales of human happiness? Hmm. But see, in here, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Important word there, pleasant is hooked up with pleasure later on. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. In other words, this is all a gift, and I delight in it. Why is that important? Why is it important that you delight in it? Yeah, what did old James K.A. Smith, what's the title of his book? Desiring the Kingdom. And this better book, with a better title, a subsequent book. Oh, I, I forget the, the follow-up. You, you are what you love. love. There, there you go. go. Yep. That is the essence of human nature. You're going to do what you delight in. If you found, if you have a feel you have a delightful inheritance, then you simply enjoy your inheritance. Someone else has a better pickup truck. You go, hmm, Lord give it, Lord take it away. I mean, that's not my delightful inheritance. Now, there is, there, there's a, there's twin challenges here. Those who have a lot that are wealthy. Well, we, I hardly use that word because you got to be careful. It's not how God uses the word. But they have a lot of money and a lot of possessions. They often feel like they don't wrestle with this because if you just all of a sudden want to buy a new Ford, electric Ford pickup, tricked out, $97,000. I only mention that because that blows my mind. <laughs> but... Um, they do. They have the same challenges because as, this, as the psalmist wrote, Lord, give me neither riches nor poverty. You know, in uh, poverty, I might steal. But the bigger problem is if I'm rich, I might forget you. And so, you know, people who have a big inheritance don't get a pass on this. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And remember, David lost his inheritance because of his tryst with Bathsheba. And then afterward, the murder of her husband. That kingdom would be split. His inheritance. He darn near destroyed it. 
he did set it up for eventually 10 of the 12 tribes would be lost to history. And so as the psalm goes on, I'll praise the Lord, keep my eyes with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Put another word, with him at my right hand, I won't be insecure. Why the right hand? What's that all about? Isn't that the, I don't know, the, the hand of strength? Uh, it's like in, in, in the Bible that you read throughout, it's often referring to God's right hand. Mm-hmm. Good. And who sitteth at the right hand this morning? Christ does. Mm, do we really believe that? And here's again where I was with a young man yesterday morning and you know, he was saying, telling me about the last year coming into this new profound earth shattering awareness of Jesus, our bridegroom. He's married to Jesus. Just blows his mind. So here's our bridegroom in your right hand. Now, at the very end of Psalm 16, it says this. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Yeah, wow. Hinting at uh, just that eternal relationship with Christ. Oh my, yes. Wow. And more than a relationship. Yeah. Marriage. Yeah. You know, listeners, we, we've touched on this repeatedly. And here's the reason why. You ain't hearing this record being played much at many other places. So we're going to keep playing this record. And... Uh, you know, I found when I bought the White Album, yes, I'm that old, Beatles, the only album I've hung on to. I never got tired of playing it. And in fact, on YouTube, Rick, Rick Beato is making a killing on this thing because he talks about what makes these old songs so great. He does a great job, by the way. We'll give him a plug. B-E-A-T-O, Rick Beato. But David found that out. You, you, you never get tired of this. Now, here's why this is, I think, helpful. And we'll wrap up on this so you can chew on this. You do yourself no favors if you hide your insecurities. Jesus can't work with that because you don't, you only give him a mask, you give him a, a veneer. You know, Jesus takes people who come and say, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. We're all a mixed bag, every single one of us. When you hide your insecurities, or if you don't hide them, you just make it where if you bring them up, our relationship will be damaged. And it may be damaged for good. So if you if you recognize that insecurities are because you have made something an idol. And remember the story of the idol Ashdod. And um, the people who worshipped Ashdod one day, one night during the night, God knocked it over. 
You always tell them idle because they woke up the next morning and scrambled to put it back up. Nobody likes to have their idol knocked over. But an idol is a false god, and it will it will give you a false sense of well-being. <sighs> Everything's okay, and what will happen is you will lose that loving feeling for your bridegroom. You'll lose it. And the problem is also a wee little part of your brain, your soul, will keep gnawing at you that we're worshiping a false god. My kids are not supposed to be God. My home is not supposed to be God. My church is not supposed to be God. It, none of these things are meant to be God. And they're giving you a false sense of security. And a false sense of security will make you insecure. And so Psalm 16 you might reflect on, because as you know, the Greeks said, the Greek thought anyway, thinkers, that we're, we're supposed to be following what they call the good, the true, and the beautiful. But many later philosophers understood the Greeks got that backwards. Because at the end of the day, what you find to be beautiful or pleasurable or what you delight in will determine what you then feel is good and then will determine what you feel is true. So if you, and the reason we do that, by the way, is we're made in God's image. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he delights in. So I urge you, listeners, get the ordering of your delights right. Because if you delight, for example, in your children, so much so you made them an idol, then subconsciously you're going to begin to feel that it is good and God approves of it. And then lastly, it's true. Then you'll have reversed it, the good, the true, the beautiful, to the way human nature actually works. The beautiful then becomes the good that becomes what you think is true. And at that point, if you've made something an idol, that thing that you have made beautiful, good, and true is off limits for any discussion. Mm -hmm.